Eat your heart out, Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> Sound beautiful. Way to go, Tom. Beautifully done. One of the things that makes the Bible believable is that God doesn't lie to us about his characters. We have some great, stellar kind of, you know, you think of Abraham and Joseph and, and uh, Daniel and some of these characters who seem to be flawless. And then you have the others who I identify with. The uh, David and his struggles. And one of the, the characters we look at this morning was kind of a rascal. His name is Jacob. His name is Jacob. Jacob. He, he lived, lived around 900 B.C. He was uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the three that are usually uh, listed as the patriarchs of Israel. Now, as we study, as you read any uh, portion of Scripture, especially the Pentateuch, uh, keep in mind three contexts as you read. First is the context of the actual event. Jacob was a real person. Abraham was a real person. Isaac was a real person. They lived in a context in space, space and, and time. time. So, so as you're reading that story, and we look at ja Jacob's story this morning, put him in that context of the ancient Near East and, and, and the things he was living with and a very primitive kind of a Bedouin sort of a culture. But a second context we have to keep in mind is the fact that Moses wrote this story 500 years later into a specific context. Moses was leading Israel out of Egypt and into their land to overwhelming realities. To escape from Egypt, the most powerful military presence on the planet at that time, with a group of people whose ancestors had been slaves for generations. And then to lead them into Canaan, a, a, a territory with great armies and walled cities and giants and all that. So Moses was writing these stories to encourage these people to, to bolster their faith. So keep that in mind too, because as Moses wrote, as any narrator, as any writer, he selected certain events to include and selected certain events to eliminate, to not include. So as you read, think of Moses saying, how am I going to inspire these people? How am I going to build their faith? How am I going to prepare them to, to take the enormous step of escaping from Egypt and then of conquering this land? So as you read these things, you pick up, you see specific things that are included that, that help them. And a third context is Palm Desert in 2023. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable forever. And so keep our own context in mind as we read these stories, as we hear about Jacob and why did Moses include these events and what is he saying to his people Israel at that time and what is he saying to you and me right now? What would the Holy Spirit have me learn as I read this? More to the Holy Spirit as you go home and, and prayerfully and hopefully reread this, this passage. There's a lot of material on Jacob. It's 10 chapters from Genesis 25 to 35. And so uh, he developed the Jacob character in great detail. Why? What does God want you and me to walk out of this church today saying, I thank God for that story of Jacob? Well, it's a fascinating story. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 25, where it begins. 
Jacob demonstrates God's grace in a marvelous way. If we take anything away from the Jacob story, it is God is so patient with Jacob. Now, you look like a pretty shined-up group of people, but I suspect there are times, as I look around, look in the mirror, when I say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. Otherwise, I would have been dead a long time ago. So as we read this story, Jacob was a rascal. Jacob was a conniving, scheming character. We see actually right as he was uh, born in chapter 25, this is, uh, looking at verse 19, this is the account of the family line of Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac. So Abraham received the promises from God and the covenants from God in chapter 12, the promises, chapters 15 and 17, he, God turned those promises into a covenant. And so as Israel, as Moses was writing to these people in, uh, in, in, in Egypt, 500 years later, he was saying, I want you to understand who you are. You are sons and daughters of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these great patriarchs to whom God gave this promise and then this covenant he gave it to Abraham, as we said, in chapters 15 and 17 as a covenant. And then in chapter 26 of Genesis, he passed that covenant on to his son Isaac. And in chapter 28, as we'll see this morning, God passed that covenant on to Isaac's son Jacob. So Moses introduced this whole thing about Jacob by saying this is the account of the family of Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac, and now we're going to tell you about the next patriarch, the third of these great, great patriarchs. Isaac, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, uh, Rebekah, because she was childless. And, and so they were concerned. If we're going to have this great generation, and part of the promise was that you would have many descendants, and that God would bless all the world through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's descendants, and here they're getting older, <coughs> and much like Abraham and Sarah, they hadn't had children yet. So Isaac was saying, Lord, excuse me, <coughs> Lord, what's going on here? And so God enabled Rebekah to have a child. And the babies in verse, uh, chapter 22, they were twins. And they, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. What's going on in my womb? It sounds like a circus down there. And it ain't comfortable. I remember the first time I felt that kick in the back and we were in bed. Some of you remember that. I mean, it, it was Chris <laughs> kicking the old man in the back. I said, hey, you little squirt. This is before he's born. But she's got these kids jostling. And what it says is, uh, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So these two guys, even in the womb, they started fighting before they're born. That's what the jostling was. This is what Moses wants to understand, that even in the womb, these two guys weren't getting along. And that was the story of their life. Well, she, she, she gave birth. When the time came for her, to verse 24, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was kind of red and hairy, and he became a hunter and a guy of the field. 
And the second guy was Jacob. So what he said about the second guy. So they named him Esau. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. You say, well, what's that about? Well, a couple of things it's about. It's a, it, Moses is introducing right at the beginning that this, this Jacob guy, although he was the second born, was fighting to be firstborn. And the word in, in the, the Hebrew for Jacob is Yaakov, and the word for heel is Bakhov. And the word, uh, the word uh, Jacob means, may God protect you. May God protect you. May God protect. The word heel, Bakhov, and the fact that he's holding on to Esau's heel, over time became the real name for Jacob. There were these two realities in Jacob. There was the one where God was protecting him. God was guiding him. God was moving him forward according to God's, according to God's plan. But this whole idea of the one who grabs the heel, the one who trips up, the one who hinders, is this, this that what Jacob, the name Jacob, over time, the predominance of that name became one who deceives. One who manipulates, one who grabs the heel, one who sneaks up behind and does what isn't right. And that, over the years, became Jacob's characteristic. And, and so we see it right away, actually, when Jacob, in the early part of their life, uh, uh, what's his name there? The, the old Esau, <laughs> excuse me. I used to tell my students, don't laugh, students, don't laugh at me, you're going to get old and stupid someday, too. Yeah, Jacob and Esau. Well, as they went along, in chapter 25, verse 28, we read that Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So right away in this family, uh, you see pairing off. Esau was kind of a man's man, and, and uh, his dad, Isaac, kind of liked him. And it says, Jacob stayed home among the tents. He used to stay home and help mom cook. And she loved him. So very different personalities. But you see, Esau was the older one, and therefore the, the majority of the inheritance, according to the laws, the Code of Hammurabi, the, the majority of the inheritance would go to Esau. Well, Jacob said, i got to figure out a way to change that. And Rachel, his mother, Isaac's wife, said, you know, God told me when I prayed, if you remember back there what it said, the older shall serve the younger. And just like under Abraham, Ishmael was the firstborn, but Isaac, the secondborn, was the son of the covenant. And so God said, my plan to, to, to bless the world is not going to be through the older one's seed, but through the younger one's seed. And so that's what Rachel picked up, is that the one God wants to bless is Jacob. But, but Isaac had a different idea in mind. Isaac wanted to bless his favorite son. And so you had this dilemma. Esau loved, pardon me, Isaac loved Esau, 
and he wanted to pass the blessing on to him. And Esau was the firstborn, so by the tradition of the time, that should have happened. God said, I have a different plan in mind. And, and uh, this caused friction between Isaac and Rachel. Rachel said, I don't think it was so much Rachel saying, I want to follow God's plan, as her saying, I want my son to have the blessing. Because the way they went about getting the blessing was as deceitful as the way that uh, Jacob got the birthright from his older brother. The first thing that happened was uh, Esau, who had the birthright, the older brother, came in from hunting, came in from the field. And he said, I'm famished. I'm ready to pass out. I'm dying of hunger. And he smelled this stew that, that Jacob was making. And he said, hey, man, give me some of that stew before I, before I fall over here, keel over. And Jacob said, yeah, I'll give you some stew, but you're going to have to give me your birthright. Swear that you'll give me the birthright. That's just serious stuff. It's big stuff. Well, Esau, Esau was also sort of a character. Esau would not be on your top three candidates for a youth pastor. <laughs> All right, Esau was kind of a wild dude. Some of those guys end up as youth pastors, but you wouldn't want him. He didn't care about the birthright. In fact, it says Esau despised his birthright, so he handed that over for a bowl of soup. And, and Jacob took advantage of his hunger. And then the next step was, he said, not only do I want the birthright, but this even more important thing is the father passing on the blessing. The father saying, you will be the one. And he knew that, uh, that uh, uh, Isaac wanted to hand that off to Esau, even though Jacob knew that he was the rightful heir. So how, how do you get around that? Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Sarah and, and Abraham wanting to help God. And, and faith says, this isn't working out the way I thought. It's not working out the way I think it should be. Uh, but I trust God. But does God want me to act? Or is God going to take care of this himself? And this was a dilemma for Abraham and Sarah. It wasn't a dilemma for Rachel and, and uh, Jacob. They said, we know we're going to make sure we get that blessing. And so here, it says in, in chapter 27, Jacob, uh, Isaac was, was uh, old and blind and near death. So uh, he sent Esau out to get some good food. He said, go out and get me one of those animals and cook it the way, you the way you know I like it. And when you come in, I will give you the blessing. Well, Rachel overheard that and said, you know, we can't let that happen. So she got Jacob in and said, look, we're going to dress you up like your brother. Uh, Esau was hairy and Joseph and Jacob wasn't. So they fixed him all up and did all this stuff, put uh, Esau's clothes on him so he would smell like Esau. So they went this very elaborate plan, a whole of chapter 27, talks, this very elaborate plan to, to snooker Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. Deceitful grabbing by the heel, sneaking up behind. Instead of saying, God, if this is your plan, this is your will, you will work it out. But we're not sure you're going to do that. So we're going to lie and deceive. Three different times, Isaac said to Jacob, are you sure you're Esau? Three times. Jacob looked him straight in the face. His own dad, old, blind, 
ready to die. Told a flat-out lie. Yeah, man, I'm Esau. Give me that blessing. Well, to show you how big a deal that was, we have, I just took a couple of statements here from chapter 27 after Isaac and Esau discovered that, that uh, Jacob had deceived Isaac, and he now had this, not only the birthright, but he also had the blessing, which left Esau out in the cold and gave everything to Jacob. It says, when Jacob heard this, Isaac, Isaac trembled violently. And it says in another place, Esau wept aloud. And then later it says, Esau burst out with a loud and bitter cry. And then Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rachel overheard him say that. So she said, I got to get Jacob out of Dodge. I mean, Esau is a big old hairy dude. He's going to kill my little boy, who was 40 years old, but still her little boy. So they, they got together, and they, they worked out where Jacob would go and live with his uncle Laban. And so she sent him north up to her, where her family was from to get him out of town because of his deceit, because of his lying, because of his cheating. You say, well, but they accomplished God's will. Is it ever right to do right by doing wrong? I don't think so. There are times it's confusing. And you say, God, should I act here? Or should I trust you to act? Should I go see the doctor or I'm just waiting? You're going to fix me. Well, that's a question. But it's never a question. Should I lie to the doctor? Should I be deceitful? Should I do something that your moral will, as explained in the scriptures, tells me I shouldn't do? And these two people, Rebecca and Jacob, this great uh, father of the faith, lied to this blind old man so they could accomplish God's will. <laughs> Don't work that way, folks. What happened in the long run is in order to preserve the good thing for her son, Rebecca lost her son. She never saw him again. He headed north, and for 20 years, he lived up there with her brother. Well, on the way out, as Jacob was moving from Canaan up to Haran, he stopped at a place uh, and... and uh, uh, well, I, Isaac did give uh, Jacob the blessing. In chapter 28, verse 3, Jake, Isaac said to Jacob, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. So even after the deceitful time of giving a blessing, they, they reconciled to some extent, and, God, and Isaac said, You know, this is what God wants. Isaac said, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing, Jacob. And, and so he gave him that blessing. And then Jacob took off and headed north. But on the way, he stopped at a place. It says here, Jacob set out for Haran. That's the city that uh, his uncle Laban lived in. And he stopped for the night. This is chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. I've edited it some. Jacob <coughs> set out for Haran. He stopped for the night and lay down to sleep. He had a dream 
in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And above it stood the Lord. And the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land. It's one of the three parts of the covenant and the promise. This land will be yours and belong to your descendants forever. So God is now saying to Jacob, I know Isaac finally gave you the blessing, but I'm going to give it to you too. The land on which you are lying, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That's the second part of the Abrahamic covenant. You'll have many descendants. And the third part was all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So God said, regardless of what your old man did and regardless of the deceit and all that stuff, you're the next one in line. And God there at this place called Bethel, Bethel, house of God. That's what that means. I got, and then he said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And Jacob then said, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he called that place Bethel. Two words, Beth meaning house, El meaning God, the house of God. So it was a, a, a wonderful thing there. And then Jacob made a vow after God had said, I will bless you. Now listen to Jacob's vow. This is so boilerplate Jacob. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? I want to tell you how Jacob shines through. If you will give me, will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and if you will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. I'll make a deal with you, God. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. In fact... Of all that you give me, I will give you a tip, or less than a tip. You probably tip 20%. You look like one of those guys. <laughs> I'm saying that just, that was a nice relationship, you know, a nice uh, analogy you made there. We tip 20%, we tithe 10%. Hear that? Didn't want you to miss that. No, that's bad. Anyway, so this guy, he's conniving. He's scheming even with God. If you take care of me, I'll be your boy. You don't take care of me, you're on your own, God. I can make it without you. I'm not sure you can make it without me. I'll give you 10%. So the more you give me, the more you... Anyway, just boilerplate Jacob. Well, then Jacob went north, and he went to his uncle Laban, who was as big a schemer as he was. And so the first thing that happened was uh, Joseph fell in love with, his younger, with uh, Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. And he said, man, could I marry her? And he said, yep, yep, but you're going to have to give me seven years of labor for her. He'd make the deal done. 
So he said, you work for me for a week, and then she's yours. So they had the big wedding, and it was at night, and, you know, the veils, and all the, the women wore the veils. So they, Jacob, they go in, and they have their first night together, and they woke up in the morning. Jacob rolled over and went, ah! What are you doing here? But it was the older sister. And he says, I didn't work for you. And I, uh, I don't know if I should say this. Uh, the older one was the ugly one. And Laban said, oh, no, no, according to our customs, the first one has to get married first. Now, if you really want Rachel, wait a week and you can have her, but you can owe me another seven years. So it ended up 14 years. And his conniving old uncle. But what happened over the long haul is that Jacob cleaned Laban out. He was the bigger conniver. So after 20 years, he left. He had 12 children, 11 sons and one daughter. Benjamin wasn't born yet. And he had most of Laban's cattle and sheep and goats just by his conniving and scheming. So when he left... Laban chased him down, and uh, it was not a happy moment. Chapter 29, here it is, I believe. Uh, last time I checked my Bible, it was. And uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, t- uh, uh, verse 32, chapter 32. So uh, he was on his way out, and, and uh, the uh, chapter 39, 31, verse 49, has this, this amazing statement. There was a 30, uh, 31, is this confrontation. Laban caught up with Jacob. He was running away. He was fleeing with his wives and his kids and all the goats and stuff and heading back to Canaan. And Laban caught up with him. And Laban had a pretty significant army behind him. But he said, God has told me that I should not hurt you. But I want you to know I think you're a scum. And Jacob said, well, guess what, Uncle Laban? You're as big a creep as I am. They didn't like each other. They had tried to out-cheat each other, and Jacob won. And then there's this verse, chapter 31, verse 49. May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from one another. Doesn't that sound nice? Jeanette and I, we met after we graduated from high school. She went to college in Ohio, and I went to college in Philadelphia. And we used to write a letter to her every day. We'd write a letter. And we used to put on a little envelope, Genesis 31, 49. May the Lord watch between you and me while we're absent one from the other. And then I read the context. <laughs> and it says, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. You got my daughters, you got my grandkids, you got all my goats and sheep. You squirrel, I don't trust you. May God watch over you. Now, that's not what I meant when I put that on the envelope. <laughs> so I called Jeanette said, hey, that thing, you okay with that? And I told her about it. She said, it sounds nice. So we kept doing it. But anyway, <laughs> so if you're using that, weigh it carefully. Hope the person you're writing a letter to doesn't read the context. So that ended, and now, uh, so he's heading back now. He left, he stopped at Bethel and had this vision of angels and this, this moment with God, and he made that vow to God on his way out. 20 years, 
He's up there in, uh, in, with Uncle Laban in uh, uh, Haran, uh, chapters 29 to 32. And now in chapter 31, 32, he's back. He's back. Jacob had an encounter with God on his return to Canaan and named that place Peniel. After all his, now he came back and, and he sent some messengers ahead of him. And this again is very conniving. Oh my goodness. And uh, I got to quit. Uh, all his conniving, but he stopped on his way back in. And he had another encounter with God. And this time God wrestled. He said a man wrestled with him. And the whole imagery there in that, in that story is uh, Jacob's battle. Jacob's battle with God. And these two natures in him. One wanting to please God, one wanting to connive and take care of himself. And that night, Jacob turned around. His life was changed. God defeated him in a very mysterious way. And as he got up to leave Peniel, it says the sun rose and shined on Jacob. Just that beautiful imagery. And then you read chapter 35 where I, uh, Jacob told his whole family, these idols that we have that we've been worshiping, these idols that have, we've carried with us, bury them. We're going to go back to that place called Bethel, the house of God. And we're going to build an altar and we're going to worship God. And from that time on, Jacob had some ups and downs and his kids were sort of like he used to be. But his life was turned around. And that's what Moses wanted the people of Israel to understand, that second context. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, 29 uh, chapter 30, he said, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, Israel, as you're ready to enter the, the, this land of Canaan 500 years later. Uh, you, you can choose life or death. You could choose blessings or cursings. You follow me, obey my word, live the way I tell you to live, it will be blessing. You violate my word, you, you worship idols, it will be curses. It will be bad for you. And then he just says, now, choose life. And he used this Jacob story as an illustration of every person wrestling and struggling and saying, I want to serve God, I really do, but there's a part of me that doesn't. And I wrestle with God. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel means wrestles with God. And I don't know about you, but that's the story of my life. Wanting to be everything God wants me to be, and wanting to be everything I want to be. And sometimes those clash. And Jacob, in this wrestling match with God, said, I give up. I give up. And that's what Moses is using this story and other stories to say to Israel, as you enter this new land, enter it like Jacob did when he came back from Padan Aram, from Uncle Laban, and entered that land, and he was at Peniel, and he saw the face of God, which is what Peniel means, face of, I have seen the face of God. And my prayer for you and for me is that we will regularly see the face of God. That third context is Palm Desert. And how does Jacob's story relate to us? Well, that struggle is still going on. 
that struggle, that inner struggle, the two beings inside of us. And Paul said to the Romans, again, Scripture speaking to us as an illustration of the struggle that Jacob had, as I urge you by the grace of God to present your body a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind so that you may know by experience what God's will is, that which is good and perfect. I can live my life like Jacob lived most of his life, the first 60 years of his life. He was 60 years old at Peniel when he saw the face of God and he gave up and said, Lord, you're the master. I'm going to live it your way. So God is saying to me and to you today, he says, I urge you to present your body a living sacrifice. That's not an imperative. He didn't say, I command you, because God doesn't command us. We're not robots. But he says, I urge you to be like old Jacob, not like young Jacob. Present your body a living sacrifice. And that's not a one-time act. I don't know what you, how it works with you, but my living sacrifice keeps crawling off the altar. And I have to keep putting it back. Jacob teaches us we can connive and scheme and build a great herd and a great flock and a great family. But one of those times, we have to come face to face with God. I saw God's face, penile. And I gave it up. And I said, Lord, you are my Lord. I want to live your way. Bury the idols. Go to Bethel, the house of God. Build an altar and worship him. 